<laughs> he said with a shrug. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, let's. Father, please watch over our pastor. Heal him. Get him back on track and back on his feet. We thank you for all those who did step in today. We give you the praise for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what you get for having all those kids. Please, please be forgiving if my throat causes problems today. My voice can only take so much. I thought I was past this, but the song before we, the song before the message today, I was hawking up a lung down there in the first row. <clears throat> Okay, Genesis 1, verses 20 to 23, since it's not on the wall, the first creatures. Verse 20 of our text begins a progressive creation <clears throat> of living beings. Note the order in which these beings are brought into existence. First, the water-dwelling creatures, including reptiles. Don't think just fish. It's, it's everybody in the water. Then those that fly in the expanse. After that, land animals are created, followed by human beings that will have dominion over all the other living beings. Let's look at that in a little prelude here. Genesis 1, verse 24, and then 26 and 27. <clears throat>
Now 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice, we're not there yet, but notice, did you notice the repetition there? God made him in our image. In our image we make him. I created him. <clears throat> After setting the stage in the second to fourth days, in a span of two more days, God, Elohim, will populate this globe. He now in this fifth day, creates the water-dwelling and sky-dwelling living creatures. The word is actually souls, living souls. In advance of the land-dwelling animals and human beings in the sixth day. Before digging into the text of this passage, we should pause to note the subtle differences in the creative steps of our God. Sometimes it's not real clear how much emphasis to give this. You know, maybe... It, how important it is. It's hard to say. Before we do, though, let's affirm that no other being or thing or even accidental calamity created anything but the sovereign Godhead. Father, Son, Spirit is responsible for it all. No matter how it's worded in our text, and it's interesting to see how it is worded differently in different creation uh, chapters. Nevertheless, God is behind it all. Christ is behind it all. The Spirit is at work behind it all. But as we see and will see in this text, this sovereign creation came about by various means. Let's return for a moment to day three. Look at verse 11. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them. And it was so. Now note, God said, but then let the earth sprout vegetation. Now look at two similar statements, the first in verse 20. Then God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. And a similar statement in verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. In these three, We don't have anything as explicit as in verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, see the difference. God said, let something natural do something. What we would call natural. He just created it, but to us it's natural. But when it came to verse 3, then God said, let there be light. Truly ex nihilo, from nothing. So, it's sometimes hard to understand the differences. 
In these three, God commands something to occur, but seems to involve the elements of water or earth in the creative process. Now back up to verse 12. Each of these creative acts are followed by a further reiterating comment. Sometimes it's just repetition. Sometimes it adds a little bit more information. Verse 12 seems to emphasize the earth's contribution with, and the earth brought forth vegetation. doesn't say God brought forth vegetation. The earth brought forth vegetation, while 21 and verse 25 reinforce God's sovereign hand with, and God created, and God made, respectively. But Leupold brings a, a good point here. God could have called forth these creatures by His mere word. Instead, He speaks the word, then enables the earth to bring them forth. I think that's a good way to think about it. The soil and the earth didn't do a thing. The water and the sea didn't do a thing. God enabled these things to occur. Now verse 20. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the expanse of the heavens. Don't lose sight of this. Don't, don't just pass on. Say, okay, next verse. This is the first time souls have been on earth. This is the first time living beings. This is it. In this one day, suddenly the seas, the lakes, the streams, the earth, the air, not the earth, but the air. Everything is filled with creatures, living creatures, never before. First, the King James Version erroneously translates the beginning of this verse with, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, as if it is, again, the water itself creating living creatures. It's not what the text says. Our other translations correctly express the original text, which reads, Then God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. <clears throat> when God made humans, He made first a solitary male, then a companion female. Hence, a couple, a reproducing pair, from which the rest of humanity would spring. So, in a poetic sense, God planted the seed with one male and one female for the rest to come spring forth from them. But with the beasties, the text makes clear that God makes a swarm of swarming things. A whole mess of them. The verb sherats is a root meaning to team, to breed abundantly, increase greatly, populate abundantly. So, inherent in these words, swarm, is the idea of reproducing actively. The noun, charrettes, is translated swarmers, swarming things. Insects, teeming life, teeming things. Likewise, the birds were created in the same manner and in similar numbers. These, in the water and in the air, are life forms that love to move in continual agitation through one another like shoals of fish. 
And think about that. That's true, isn't it? I mean, you think about all the, the uh, what was his name, the French guy? Uh, Jacques Cousteau. 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 Whatever. That weird guy. Always wore a knit cap. Yeah. I, I mean, think of all the, the video we've seen. The video. They weren't videos. They were films. <clears throat> Swarming fish. You know, schools of fish moving about. Same thing in the air. The birds. See it all the time, especially this time of year. I mean, they're, they're flocking, they're moving together as if, as if there's a supreme being behind it all. And, and, and the, we've seen films of, of birds flocking and swirling as if, wow, as, like an artist was behind it. And, and so that's what these words mean, swarms of swarming things. They're swarming and moving about and populating them. <clears throat> busy, busy, busy. This instinct marks these creatures to this day, as I, as I just pointed out. That's my sidebar. Living creatures translates nefesh, which means a soul, a breathing, living being. Not soul as it is in humans. You know, we Christians, we like our souls. You know, we're going to heaven. Our, save our soul, you know, that kind of... It's, it isn't used that way. It's just used in an in a ancient Hebrew way of just saying these are breathing. There's, there's air in these people, in these days. And don't forget, fish still breathe. They just breathe through the water. They're still breathing creatures. So... That using that word souls here differentiates it from rocks and plants. To in the Bible, if you're not breathing, you're not living. And and you know, we like to say, okay, we got a, a living Christmas tree this year. It's in a pot, it's alive. Well, to the Bible writers, not really. It, it's it doesn't exhale and inhale. And here the first time that this is the first time that nefesh soul is used, it, it's regarded as nothing more than referring to that which breathes in any way. Most commentators seem to agree that these two groups would include insects and reptiles. The latter sometimes referred to as Saurians, S-A-U-R-A-N-S, Saurians, which is a suborder, Sauria, Sauria, S-A-U-R-I-A, of reptiles, including the lizards and in older classifications, the crocodiles and various extinct forms such as the dinosaurs and ichthyosaurs that resemble lizards. Here's a contemporary usage of that during the, from the Smithsonian Magazine. During the great age of reptiles, when dinosaurs ruled the land, there were also fantastic saurian in the seas. Sea monsters. Oh boy. In other words, by the end of day five and the beginning of day six, God will have created all species of non-human life for the earth which brings us to verse 21. Now notice I included beginning of day six when the and that did, do you have the NIV? Was that what you were reading from? 
ESV? Okay, that, that's good. My translation is, is accurate with cattle, but it really is, it's, it's domestic stock. That's what that word means. Yeah. Verse 21, and God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21 recapitulates verse 20, but also adds some new information. And God created the great sea monsters. Along with fish of every shape and kind and other aquatic creatures, God made the tanamine, which is plural for tannin, which is translated venomous serpent, devouring dragon, sea monster. So that translation, sea monster, is not out of line. These are baddies. The same word is used to describe the serpent Moses threw down before the Pharaoh and is always used in an evil, threatening context, such as elsewhere in the Pentateuch. Turn, please, to Deuteronomy 32. <clears throat> My good friend in California remarked to me that he was so surprised. Now, he's, he's a man of the cloth. He's an ordained music minister. Uh, was. He's older than me. He's an old guy. Uh, but he remarked how surprised he was and fascinated by how all, all these, other, these other references throughout the rest of God's Word that pertain to the creation epic. Uh, he should know better, but then he's learning along with us. Deuteronomy 32, 31 to 33. For their rock is not as ours. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of ash. That word serpents, that's our word. I it, if you'll if you'll forgive me. Oh no, that's Isaiah. Uh, it's also associated with Rahab, Babylon, and Leviathan, if some of you remember our study in the end times. Isaiah twenty seven one. In that day Yahweh will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Now, there's a lot of prophecy in that. There's a lot of double imagery in that passage. Uh, the dragon who lives in the sea, well, it's Antichrist who comes up out of the sea in the imagery of Revelation. Something's going on next door. I know I'm probably the only one who hears it, but... The King James Version translates this 
whales. What we've been talking about, sea monster, the King James Version translates it whales. And I have no doubt that whales are included in this. But as I've shown, it goes far beyond just a gentle but massive whale. This, these are nasties. <clears throat> Dinosaurs. Now, I personally subscribe to the position that God made the sea and land monsters, which would include all manner of dinosaurs, along with all the rest. This means that they walked the earth and swam the seas along with early man, but ultimately died out as a species earlier than others. I think it makes a lot of sense at least from an earthly standpoint, these are so, some of them were so huge, they just couldn't survive. They were just, but then God made them, so. Remember what David Guzik wrote regarding the theory that the dinosaurs lived and died out a long, long before the first man. I've read this before, but it is a good reminder here. David Guzik writes, Whatever merit the gap theory may have, it cannot explain the extinction and fossilization of ancient animals. The Bible says plainly, Death came by Adam. Romans 5.12 And since fossils are the result of death, they could not have happened before Adam's time. That's good enough for me. It makes sense. Verse 21 continues, and every living creature that moves. At this point in the creation narrative, that would have to include any seagoing dinosaurs. And every winged bird after its kind. In verse 20, it says that the birds fly above the earth across the face of the expanse of the heavens. That's just a rather poetic way to say that when birds are flying, they do so in the expanse of the first heaven, described in verses 6 to 8. The face of that first heaven is turned down toward the earth, and that's the domain of the birds that fly. So remember, perhaps all, but, but I don't want to stretch this, almost all of this is from the per perspective of Earth's surface. Repeatedly, as we work our way through this creation epic, it's almost always from Earth's perspective, as if it's being described by someone standing on Earth looking up. And that's the case here. The face. Well, if you're standing on the surface of the Earth, what is the face of the heavens? The sky right overhead. That's the, that's the doorway to the heavens. It's the first heaven, the atmosphere immediately above the earth. That is the face of the expanse of the heavens, and that's where the birds fly. Makes sense. Once again, many of us take for granted the winged creatures that fly in the sky, not just birds as we think of them, but all winged creatures. Bats, insects, even pterodactyls, large winged reptiles now extinct. These are a brand new type of being, creatures that breathe and are animated and have power on their own volition 
to go from place to place. <clears throat> God made the water. God made the dry land. And now He puts things in both of those. <clears throat> I'm sorry, He made the first heaven first, and that's where He puts the birds. Let's get this right. Verse 22. Then God, <clears throat> excuse me, then God blessed them. That kind of slaps you in the face, doesn't it? Saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Here we have the first recorded blessing of God bestowed on any other being. He does so to empower the commandment He gives them. Now, this was a new thought to me. Because what do we think? We, the, the word blessing. Saying, give some, someone a blessing. But what does that mean? It kind of means, I want things to be good for you. I want things to be nice. But there's power in this. And I, I find myself quoting Lou Pold more often than not because I've been really disappointed in uh, Sailhammer. Uh, so Kyle and Dulles and Lou Pold. So he does so to empower the commandment he gives them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters and the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. That's a commandment. He's not just being nice, not just being polite. This is an empowering blessing. Here's how Leupold explains it. From these copious beginnings, these creatures are to keep on multiplying until they fill the earth. Every vestige of emptiness is to be ultimately canceled. This blessing of God, however, is not a mere wish or a wishing well on the part of the Almighty. It is a creative word of power which makes possible the things that it commands. And it continues in power to this day. The Creator is glorified by the multitudes of beings which His creative word makes. It's a loophole. But that's a new thought for me, that a blessing can, can be have power behind it. Now, verse 23, which closes this fifth day with the now standard line. There was evening, there was morning, a fifth day. By the end of day five, the earth is populated with living, breathing beings. The oceans, lakes, and streams are populated with fish and creatures of myriad kinds. Some beautiful, some horrific. And we don't have to look at dinosaurs for that. I mean, have you seen some of those things that are down there, 20 miles down below the surface? My word, who dreamed these up? Likewise, the sky above the earth's surface is now filled with flying creatures of all sorts, some beautiful, some hideous, some downright irritating. Oi. <coughs> God continues piecing together this brand new world, and in the next and last day of creation, He will complete it with beasts that roam the earth, including perhaps the most fearsome beast of all, man. 
I'm sorry, were you disappointed with that? <laughs> nope. Nope. He's extinct. He's extinct. Okay, we got plenty of time for you to. Yes. Do you see any significance in the blessing being to the swarming creature, the, the, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and not the animals of the earth in the next thing? I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't know. Uh, not yet. Um, I bet, but I was thinking about it. I thought, hmm. Because, you know, don't we, th don't we think of mammals as being more important than anybody else? And, uh, you know, these are just fish and birds. Who cares? But God gives them a blessing. I don't know if this maybe explains it, but I know that there's a lot of diversity and a lot of numbers in the sea. After all, the earth is mainly water. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perhaps that has something to do with it. I know there's a there's a ton of living creatures and organisms in the ocean and, and whatnot. So uh, you mentioned that you said streams and, and, and lakes as well. That one, uh, there's some diversity there. Too. Well, they're all interconnected. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. I don't know the, but yeah, that that that's, for the moment at least, that's a good enough, a, a, a good as good reason as any, that the earth is mostly water. He wants it filled up. I, I on that I keep thinking of China. <coughs> Remember, China had the one child. Got them into big trouble. They're in trouble now. They're running out of people. And and uh, there's a number of countries that have, you know, the, the whole culture is so anti-man, woman, child that that we're running out of people. It wasn't that long ago, 60s, 70s, we were saying, oh, got to depopulate. We're going to overwhelm. We've got to... Don't, I'm not going to I'm not going to get, have a child because I don't want to add to the no it's actually as it turns out God was right be fruitful and multiply Thus the reason you should is just keep just keep doing a man well if they get to 10 well there's the nations under the Antichrist <laughs> oh no, I'm just going to we're just going to well, let that you go. We, it, you mentioned it today. So yeah. In, in reading, that's a biggie. I I think if I think that's room for I'd be kicked out of the church if I skipped over that. I'll take all my questions. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. It seems like that's a special blessing too. Yes. It's, it's the raining part that is different for them. Yeah, right. He told the fish and the birds to multiply in it. Yeah. So pre-Adam pre Eve's sin, were all the animals... Pre-what sin? Pre-fall, pre-sin okay. entering the world. All the creatures that were created, regardless of how terrifying or whatever, 
as in Adam all die. So, like with what David Guzik said, death wasn't there before the fall, which would seem to include one animal killing another to eat it. After the inundation, God gives specific permission. He says, now you're going to eat meat. And notice what he says when he created the, the trees and the plants. He said, this is food for man. This is for you to eat and for the animals to eat. So I'm pretty sure... I don't think so. It's you shaking your head at me. Oh, okay. Well, then you then you can stay. Because we turn meat eaters. <laughs> but but it I I've always read that passage about with with Noah. Noah, did I get that right? She. My good wife pointed out I said a wrong name today in the sermon. I said Moses instead of Abram. One mistake. Um, I'm thank you. Uh, uh, now where was I? Uh, I always read that about Noah. So okay, now you can eat meat. I was a little disappointed in that. I mean, not. But it's almost as if God is saying, all right, I'll let you do this. It, or, like I, I, well, no, no, it's more of a disappointment to him. That, that's my, how I read that, but I'm not sure I can base that on anything. I'm not, uh, that's just a personal thing. It's almost as if, you remember what Christ said, we don't want you to divorce, but for Okay, we'll we'll let you do this because you're gonna do it and whatever. Uh, and I, I kind of get that same feeling with the with God saying, "Okay, now, now you can eat the beasties." Uh, I don't know. That's a, what Al? Yeah, just uh, going back to the blessings. You know, I, I pondered this before and looked at it, but you know, blessings started early, obviously, right here in Genesis, and you know, when we trace the blessings to the patriarchs and what a big continues on through you know the covenant with the Israelites and I will bless you if you do this I will curse you if you do this and then ultimately you know that kind of it doesn't disappear in the New Testament but the culmination is obviously the blessing of Christ when he comes and that's all the blessing we need yeah it, it is so it's just uh, but, but it's interesting I think the and I've never done a complete study of how that was super important to those guys. I mean, yes. That was, that was huge. It had very special meaning. Well, and maybe that specialness is yeah, the subtext of this one. Yeah. That it's, it empowers. It empowers. And you can trace that thread all 
What would a blessing mean to Israel if they had obeyed? The power to, to thrive. And otherwise, the, the flip side is the curse, which puts the kibosh on them, pushes them down, sends them into exile. That seems like a really important thing, this blessing business. Come by our house in the spring. Yeah. Oh, shush. Yeah. It's interesting. Job 41, a whole chapter about Leviathan. And it sounds like he was some kind of dragon. Mm hmm. You know, just not too many animals get a whole chapter in the Bible. But there's kind of a, it isn't, it isn't so much that there's this guy over here called, who has the name Leviathan. There is the, it's almost as if the Leviathan species father thank you for the what we have learned in this passage you are a most generous and kind god thank you thank you for this time and bring us back next week in jesus name amen